0: Thank you, Liz. Let's uh, dive into Hebrews chapter 12 together. I do encourage you to have a Bible open uh, with you in these recent weeks when I've been uh, away on leave uh, watching online. One of the things I've noticed is it's easy to not be in the habit of having a Bible open uh, when you're watching at home. So let me encourage you to grab a Bible or look it up on your phone just now, Hebrews chapter 12. And if you'd find it helpful, there is that outline in the Dropbox uh, folder as well. Let me pray for us as we look at Hebrews 12 together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks, that you speak a word of grace, a word that is better than uh, any word that we can hear in this world, a word uh, of forgiveness. And so we pray that by your spirit that we would hear this word of your son and that in hearing this word you would embolden us to run for you by faith. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, starting in verse 1 with this uh, call from our God let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us it's the race of faith that we're being called to run and as we saw last week with Andy in in chapter 11 it's a race that uh, many have run before us we saw the great cloud of witnesses of those who have run and finished this race of faith uh, those who do you remember in the very first verse of uh, chapter 11 those who whose faith was this that they were certain that god would do as he promised that's what faith is being certain that god will do as he promised and that is what pleases god uh, chapter 11 verse 6 says a life that pleases god is a life that trusts the word of his promise But as we turn to chapter 12, verse 1, it's it's as if the Spirit says, having given us this great cloud of witnesses, given us examples of those who've run and finished this race, he says, enough about them. Now it's your turn to run. Let us run this race of faith. And and you know our race. We've seen it as we've gone through Hebrews together. You who know all that God has promised has now been fulfilled in his final word, the Lord Jesus. Run by faith in him. Run by faith fixed on Jesus, who is God's son, who has shed his blood for us. That is our race of faith. A race that, as we've seen in the book of Hebrews, is confident that his blood is actually enough to forgive us, to remove guilt forever, to enable us to draw near to God again, uh, to be confident that we can do that, to know that we are loved, that we will be heard by God. That's our race of faith. And it's a race that is sure that one day Jesus, God's son, will appear, we're told, for a second time. But not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. That is our race of faith. Essentially, if you were to sum up the whole book of Hebrews, which is what chapter 12 is doing, it's saying this, the race that we are called to run is clinging to Jesus with all that we are and all that we have. And in that race, the Spirit of God says to us here in chapter 12 run it with perseverance. Run the race marked out for you with perseverance. And so let me ask you as we gather online remotely in lockdown number three or four or whatever we're up to, uh, how's your race of faith going? How's your clinging to Jesus going? Are you in a a sort of a strong burst of speed part of the race? You know, uh, things are good. You're you're growing in your faith. You're growing in your understanding of God's promises. You're you're growing to trust them more. Perhaps that's where you are at the moment in the race. Or perhaps you're laboring in the race. Uh, Perhaps you're feeling the pinch after running for some time. Perhaps uh, current and persisting circumstances are making it hard to run for him. Or maybe it's not circumstances. Maybe it's a persistent sin that is entangling you and weighing you down, making it hard to run for him. Or maybe you're someone who's recently a Christian and and to be honest, when it comes to the race of faith, you're you're not sure whether you're running it the right way. Is is this what it's meant to feel like? Or maybe you're watching this morning and you're, you're not yet a Christian. You're not even sure whether it's worth entering into this race. Well, wherever you're at, as you run, The Spirit says in Hebrews chapter 12, run that race with perseverance. And then what Hebrews 12 does for us is it gives us four encouragements to help us run with perseverance. Four encouragements in the words of uh, chapter 12, verse 12, that are designed to strengthen our weak knees, designed to strengthen our feeble arms as we run. And so let's look at each of them in turn. If you've got the outline there in front of you, you'll see these four encouragements. Here's the first, it's in the first couple of verses. Let us run as those who are unhindered and undistracted. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's an inspiring call at the start of this chapter. It it reminds me a bit of uh, Eric Liddell, you know, of uh, Chariots of Fire fame. Uh, His sort of motto or his sort of approach to running the races that he he ran in the Olympics was this. He, He said, the first half I run as fast as I can. And then the second half I run even faster with God's help. And that's what we're being called to do here. And uh, before you think to yourself, great, now I'm being called to be like an Olympic athlete. No, far from it. I mean, that was the point of the list in chapter chapter 11 of those who have run before us. This great cloud of witnesses there. Uh, We're not witnessing to their own running prowess. If you read their backstories in the Old Testament, each one of them is a stuff up and a stumbler when it comes to the race. Their witness is not to themselves, but to God's faithfulness. They're saying to us, they're witnessing to us, he carried us, he can carry you too, all the way to the finish. And so run, we're told, this race of faith, knowing that it is not a race where selection is based on our fitness to run, rather on our willingness to trust God's faithfulness to carry us as we run for him. But in light of that gracious faithfulness from our God, we're told here in verse 1 to run that race unhindered. Throw off everything that's going to keep you from running for him. I wonder if you've thought about that when it comes to your life, when it comes to your race of faith, which is what your life is all about. Do you know the things that actually hinder that race? I mean, each, each aspect of our life, every detail of what we are and what we do and how we spend our time is, is either a potential hindrance in the race or a help in the race. And so knowing this, we, we need to actually work hard to think and consider what are the things that are hindering my race of faith. Things that, uh, and this is made clear in verse 1, that may not in and of themselves be sin. There's sin that entangles, but then there's things that just hinder. They may be good gifts. But the race of faith is not simply run just by asking, well, why can't I have this? Or why can't I be that or do that or spend my time in that way? I'm free. If, if that's the only question we're asking, uh, we're, we're lazy runners. No, the race of faith is run by asking, is having this, or doing that, or being this, or spending my time in that way, is it going to enable me to run with greater faith and greater hope and greater holiness, or is it going to hinder those things? And so let me ask you to consider the details of your life. For uh, the youth and uh, perhaps uni students from night Church uh, listening as we look at this together, consider your life uh, your study, your, your family life, your, your social media, your relationships, do, do those things help you run for him or are they hindering that run? And for the rest of the adults, uh, your job, your home, your family, your health, how you spend your time, do those things help you run for him or are they hindrances? Right, so here's the challenge of verse 1. Don't just ask, why can't I have that or be that or do that? That's lazy running. Instead, ask this, does it help me run for him? It is an opportunity either to run for his pleasure, and that's trusting him, that's what pleases him, or to have something that makes it harder to run for him. And if we do that, what will end up happening again, verse 1, is that we will get entangled in sin. We get entangled when we think, yes, I know Jesus is what my life is about. I know he is my joy. I know he's the one I'm running for. But you know what? I'd be better off running for him via that other thing that I really want. In fact, without that thing, even with him, I will not be happy. The problem with pursuing joy in Jesus via something else is that you never get through that thing to him. It entangles you. That thing becomes, well, the ultimate thing. Hebrews 12 verse 1 commands us, think hard about what's going to stay and what's going to go in your life as you run. You're in a race. Think about it. Let us be those who run unhindered. And then again, verse 2, run undistracted. Do you see there verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want to make sure that you're not distracted by things that will hinder you, you need to have your heart and your soul and your mind focused on the Lord Jesus, who we're told here is the the beginner and the finisher of your faith. He he founded your faith. It's all him, not you. When he endured the cross, when he sat down triumphantly at the right hand of God, He's the sustainer of your faith, that that we're told in chapter uh, 13, verse uh, verse 20, that uh, he is able to equip you with everything good for doing his will. He can keep you going, so fix your eyes on him. The only way to let go of things that will hinder or entangle is with eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. So there's the first encouragement, run unhindered and undistracted. Here's the second, and this is enormously helpful, verses 3 to 13, run as those who are trained, by the discipline of a loving father. Verse three, we're told, fixing our eyes on Jesus will actually help us to to see what the normative experience of this race of faith is like. And do you know what the normative experience of the race is? It's, It's a hard race, it's a long race, and there are points in the race that are a real struggle. And the first readers needed to hear that. If you remember back in chapter 10, verse 32, we were told that when they first came to faith in Jesus, they endured all sorts of opposition and persecution. It would have been easy for them to lose heart along the way. And so to them and to us as we run, the Spirit says, consider Jesus, consider his suffering. As you run after him, what would make you think that your run would be any different to his? And so how are we meant to view then uh, the often difficult circumstances that our race of faith will will see us facing? Well, I think verses 5 to 11 are of enormous help uh, for those moments in life where we we do face difficult circumstances. Uh, Here what we're shown in these verses is that the difficult circumstances that we face as we run for him are not signs that God doesn't love us. Or signs that he's lost control along the way. Uh, Our Heavenly Father is not looking on as we run and and seeing us buffeted by life at points and thinking, I wish I could help. No. And these verses help us to have a clear picture of what's happening as we run through the rough ground or the valleys of the race. Uh, Follow with me carefully the the teaching of these verses. I think they're incredibly helpful. In verses 5 to 11, uh, the word discipline actually occurs eight times. Eight times the author doesn't want us to miss it. He, he's redirecting our understanding of those circumstances that we face and he's saying they're not haphazard but they're the wise discipline of our loving Heavenly Father. In fact, here is what the writer means when he says in verse 1, the race marked out for us. The biblical idea of discipline, it, it contains both the idea of chastisement but also instruction and guidance, uh, In other words, even when what we face in life is painful, it's purposeful. It's a discipline that sometimes takes the form of very difficult experiences. And and when it comes to the race of faith, our progress is determined in part by how we receive those circumstances. And verse five says that there's actually a danger when we face such circumstances of swinging from one extreme to another. Either, verse 5, we're told we, we can take it all too lightly. And, and sometimes as Christians we'll do that. We'll think it's stoic and noble to pretend when we face hard circumstances that it's fine, it's not affecting me. But if it hurts, it hurts, says chapter 12. Let's not pretend. But the other, the other extreme is this, that we become crippled by those circumstances. We lose heart and we give up in the race. The Spirit says that neither extreme is the right response to God's discipline. To run the race well in hardship, you need to see three things. And we see them in these verses. Here's the first of them. You need to see the significance of the hard things. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For, for what son is not disciplined by his father? Do you see the significance of those circumstances? Uh, those whom God loves, we're told in verse 6, he disciplines uh, Difficult circumstances are are not for us a sign that God has abandoned us. On on the contrary, verse 7 says it's a sign that you're in his family, that you're one of his children. This is what we should expect from a father-son relationship. That is, if our father cares enough to see us grow up. And sure, we might want to ask, uh, why this discipline? Why now? Why me? And if we're not asking those sort of questions, then we are making light of his discipline. But... When we ask the why question, he gives us a clear answer. That's the second thing you need to see. Verse 9 and 10, see the intention, the purpose of his discipline. Verse 9, we've all had uh, earthly fathers and they've disciplined us and we respect them for we know, verse 10, that they did the best they could. Now I know as I say that phrase, they did the best they could, it it does beg a question, doesn't it? When when we think of human fathers, uh, 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 at least for some of us, I mean, what about rubbish human fathers? What about uh, fathers who perhaps some have experienced who in no sense did the best they could? Either in the sense that they were cruel, and some will feel that acutely, or in the sense that, well, perhaps they weren't cruel, but they were careless. Uh, Fathers who were too selfish to discipline. Now, whether you've experienced one of those two things in your own human father, I suspect all of us, whatever our experience, we know what we wished we'd had in a father. And we understand then what is being written here, that the the wisdom that a good father will discipline out of love, wanting to see us grow. And so the Spirit says in verse 10, understand the intention of God's discipline. You see there, verse 10? God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Our loving Heavenly Father has, has marked out our race for, for our benefit, for our good, uh, through the process of discipline that we undergo that we become like him in our character. His discipline is not necessarily purpose for our comfort or our success or our vindication or our uh, career path or whatever we may think uh, the purpose of life is. But well, uh, Romans 8:28 and 29 puts it this way. He works through all things for our good and what's the good he's after? that we become like his son, his beautiful son. Now, what could be better than that? So see the significance of the discipline, see the purpose. And finally, and this is hugely helpful again, verse 11, see the timing of it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I reckon this is such a helpful verse for anybody who is, uh, has gone or is going through or will go through difficult circumstances. Uh, that uh, In the present, those things are not joy but, but pain. And we need to recognise that. We need to watch out as we try to comfort one another as, as a church family. Watch out to comfort people too quickly to try and speed them on in the process and telling them, no, it's all okay. Well, no, it's not. It's not. We need to watch, down toning, uh, watch toning down the severity of circumstances. Do you see what it says there in verse 11? It says, all discipline is painful. God doesn't compare. He doesn't say to you, you're not allowed to complain because your circumstances aren't as difficult as that person. No, all these things are painful. But we need to see the timing of the discipline. We'll be a far more help to someone in difficulty if for a while in the, in the spirit of Job, we can sit with them in the ashes during that painful period. But we're told, verse 11, later on, and that's the thing, later on, God's work uh, through discipline is slow and deliberate and patient. But it does happen. He who began a good work in you will carry it all the way to completion. And I suspect for each one of us, there are things in our race of faith that's been marked out for us that if if we were plotting the course, they simply wouldn't be there. The difficult times that we we think, God, if we could move out of this quickly, that that would be ideal, please. Or, Or perhaps those great moments in our race where we think, could we just stay here for longer? Viewing them rightly, all of those moments is knowing that later on, if we are prepared to be trained by these difficult circumstances, they will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. So as you struggle, fix your eyes on Jesus. Use the training that he's giving you to strengthen your feeble arms and knees for the race ahead, for running for him, for your own good. But And this is the third encouragement you see there in verse 14, for the good of others. And I love this encouragement in verses 14 to 17. Now We're told here that this race of faith is to be run for each other. And that's really helpful because I suspect at this stage, this is what happens to me as I read Hebrews 12, I'm thinking just about myself and I'm thinking this is an individual race like the Olympic 100 metres or, or maybe a longer race, the marathon. But, but this isn't that at all. This is a team's pursuit. This is a relay race where we're in it together. And we're told in verses 14 to 17, here's three things you can encourage each other with. Here's three ways you can run for each other. Firstly, verse 14, pursue peace and holiness together as a church make every effort to be at peace don't you love that Uh, it's so real isn't it Uh, make every effort it's hard to be at peace with other people and and that's the real danger because it takes effort we abandon the pursuit and we grow happy with discord rather than pursuing peace we settle for well quiet but they're not the same thing and and it really does matter I wonder if you're the same as me. I reckon the times that I've struggled most in my race of faith have been periods where I've been in discord with other Christians. That lack of peace can actually disable your race along the way. And the same is true for this pursuit of holiness in verse 14. It's a together activity. The call to be holy is a call to be holy together, not in isolation. And again, the people I know best, I think, in life are the people I find it hardest to be holy around. And so I want to say to you, as part of the St. Andrew's Church family, if you find it easy to be holy in this church family, then I suggest you don't know us very well. We're sinners. We're selfish. We're unreliable. And so are you. Spend enough time here at St. Andrew's and really any Christian uh, community, and one of two things will happen. Either we, over time, divide into little cliques of people that we can be holy around because they agree with us, Or we'll learn to be holy together over time. Which means over time we'll learn to forgive each other. We'll be forbearing with one another. We'll love each other more than we expect to be loved back. And so let us pursue peace and holiness together. Secondly, verse 15, see to it that together we grow in grace, not bitterness. That's the second way we can run for each other. And ultimately that comes down to which soil that we as a church are going to grow in. Because the soil of grace and the soil of bitterness, they both produce plants fruit the soil of bitterness is found when we were told in this verse get in the habit of missing out on the word of grace when that's not shaping us and when the word of grace is neglected what what happens is that we fill our lives with other voices other words words of well complaint and grumbling and entitlement and selfishness and the fruit that comes from the bitter soil uh, like that is abundant envy Anger, insecurity, despondency, grievance, it goes on. There's plenty of fruit. Such fruit, in the end, will harden us to the word of grace that would sustain our race of faith. And so let us run in such a way that we grow together in grace, not bitterness. One final way in these verses that we're told to encourage one another in our race, you see it there in verse 16? See to it that we help each other avoid the snare of cheaper prizes as our ultimate joy instead of Jesus' and all he offers us. You see the example it gives in verse 16 of what that looks like? It looks like what Esau did in the Old Testament. And if you read the story of Esau, his trade is insane. He he gives up all that God has promised him for a bowl of soup. Now, I hate soup at the best of times, but uh, can you imagine that trade? All God has promised for a bowl of soup. It it sounds insane, but God has put this here as an example because he says our choices can be just as insane. And the writer gives us an example here. He highlights sexual immorality as as one of the ways we can do that. And and why not? And let's be honest, among Christian men, it is the cheap prize that many get entangled in. Many Christian men who choose uh, to go for sexual immorality, uh, especially in the form of pornography, in a way that will cripple their race of faith. Let us be those who together see that none of us fall as we run along the way. One final encouragement, and we'll finish with this. You see there in verses 18 to 24, this is my favourite. Let us run as those who are almost home. Uh, I want you to picture with me for a moment uh, an experience that I suspect uh, none or vir- virtually none of us have had in the last 18 months and perhaps for a long time before that. Uh, I want you to imagine you're on uh, one of those long-haul journeys, uh, aeroplane journeys, say from Europe to Australia or something like that. And you, you remember that experience? Imagine that moment, you, 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 you've been on this journey for, for ages and, and then start, you start to see signs of home, that you're almost there. For hours and hours, this plane has sort of rumbled through the sky in sort of grim silence. They, they shut the little shutters and everything's dark and you just got to sit there for, for hours on end. And, and then all of a sudden, this magical moment happens. Near the end of the flight, that the lights come on. And finally, you get to open those shutters. Why they even give you shutters, I don't know, because most of the flight, you've got to have them down. But finally, you're allowed to lift them and you you look out into the night sky and you can see in the distance the lights of home. And then you hear this other glorious thing, you hear the rattle of the breakfast trolley behind you as it begins to roll towards you and you know you're almost home. In those moments, uh, if you've ever experienced it on a plane, there's there's transformation on everyone in in the plane. Uh, There's suddenly there's movement. And there's smiles and silence gives way to chatter and laughs. And all of a sudden this person that I've completely ignored for the entire flight sitting next to me is my new best friend and we start chatting together. Well, I want to say, brothers and sisters, the point of this book of Hebrews is to encourage you to see that you are at that moment. Do you realise where you've already come in your race of faith? You've come to Jesus. Listen to the Spirit of God tell you where you're up to in your race. Have a look at verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the city of the living God. You've arrived where thousands upon thousands of angels are in joyful assembly. You're in the church of the firstborn. That's where you are, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, who is the judge of all men, the spirit of righteous men, now made perfect. You've come to Jesus. Jesus who is the mediator of a new covenant and sprinkles his blood in a way that speaks a better word than the the word of Abel because it speaks your forgiveness and your removal of guilt. And we're told here, verse 18, you've not come to a place of fire and gloom and uh, terrifying words from God. Uh, That's Mount Sinai. That's what Hebrews has been showing us. No, you've come instead to Mount Zion. You've come to where God dwells and he welcomes his people. What the author of this letter is saying to us is what what he's been saying all the way along in this letter. As we run, you are already at that point. You can see the lights of home. You can taste home. We saw it. You remember it back in chapter 4. He says, you can come to the throne of grace. It's open to you. Chapter 10, you can draw near to God with confidence. You're already at that point. And if you come to Jesus, you need to know that you are spiritually at the point where you can already enjoy fellowship with God. You can be in his presence without fear. You can speak to him. You can receive from him grace in a time of need. Here's where you are in the race. You have spiritually arrived. No, you're not there physically, but you will be soon. So we're told here at the end of this chapter, take heart as you run. You're almost home. No longer at Mount Sinai, which was a place of separation and fear. You're at Mount Zion, which is a place of access and confidence. So having come to Jesus... Christian, realise where you are. The lights have come on. The lights of home are inside if you'd care to look. Start the chatter. Smile, laugh, rejoice and sing when we're allowed to again and befriend the stranger near you. Well, Let me pray for us. And as I pray, let me encourage you to consider your own race and where you're at this day. Let's pray together. Father God, help us to run with perseverance the race you have marked out for us. Strengthen us to run unhindered and undistracted. Give us wisdom to run trained by your discipline. Give us a heart to run for each other. Give us the joy of seeing home in sight. And in the words of Eric Liddell, we believe you made us for a purpose to run. And when we run, we feel your pleasure. Amen.